Good morning. I hope you are well at whatever time you are listening to this message. We're continuing our study of King David from the Old Testament and today thinking about the idea of covenant and David's lifelong commitment to his friend Jonathan. We've already looked in the series about David's anointing to be king and how his faith in God gave him direction and strength in his leadership and how he cared for his people. Next week we will see God's grace in forgiving and restoring him after he made big mistakes with huge consequences on himself, his family and the nation. Before we read the first of two passages, a little context I think is needed. The nation of Israel that God promised to bless was finally established after Moses and Joshua had led the people out of Egypt to form a new nation from the land God promised to them. It was a nation surrounded by other people groups intent on conquest and dominance. After their reliance on the Lord faded and they forsook the covenant established at Mount Sinai. They go through a period of turmoil. The tribes fought amongst themselves, neighbouring nations invaded and idolatry was embraced. And though God graciously sent a series of leaders to save them from their enemies, they still pleaded for a monarchy, just like every nation around them seemed to have. And Saul looked like a good candidate, but as Ollie reminded us a few weeks ago, soon the power went to his head and God's anointing or blessing was withdrawn. It would have been natural to assume that Saul's son, Jonathan, would become his successor. But God had other plans, choosing instead to appoint a shepherd boy called David, the youngest son of Jesse, to be the future king. And through a series of events, most notably David killing Goliath, the fiercest of enemies of Israel, David and Saul and Jonathan were connected. Soon David was spending time in the king's palace and what started well soon became toxic as Saul's jealousy and hatred for David grew to the point that Saul wished David dead. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In all the tension and fear, a friendship between David and Jonathan was forged. A friendship that was built on their shared faith in God during difficult times. And it's such an unlikely pairing. These are essentially two rivals for the throne. One the natural successor to his father and one who'd been seemingly appointed by a prophet to be God's chosen next king of Israel. It would have been fair to assume that this relationship wouldn't wouldn't end too well. There can only be one winner. But thankfully God is at the centre of this friendship. And through both these men we can learn lots about friendship. About putting God's plans first. And that lifelong commitments require integrity and selfless acts of kindness. So as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. David is fearing for his life and Jonathan steps in to initiate a a covenant between them, securing an everlasting bond that would extend to future generations. Victoria is going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 to 17 and verse 42. 
Today's reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 20 verses 12 to 17 and verse 42. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord the God of Israel be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Thank you, Victoria. We've got some speed work to do before getting further into this story. Victoria read that Jonathan and David made a covenant between them in the presence of God. A covenant is when two parties make promises to one another and work alongside each other to accomplish a goal together. It's the idea of partnership. Covenanting was part and parcel of what it meant to live in the ancient, ancient Near East. They aren't so popular these days. In our self-orientated, materialistic society, people prefer contracts where things are promised. If I give you this, then you give me that. Um, if you don't do this, then I'm entitled to do that. It's all very transactional. But covenants are different. Think devotion, think commitment. Think about giving of yourself rather than of stuff. The UK government has a covenant with everyone who serves in the British Army. It's called the Army Covenant, binding the government to a pledge that no soldier is disadvantaged in our society. But marriages are probably the best picture of covenant that we have these days. In love, a husband and a wife choose to enter, to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. Each make promises and commitments to one another. Then they work as partners to reach a common goal like, a goal like building a home or a career or raising children together. The idea of covenants is a very biblical thing. Covenants are a key part of scripture, almost uh, it seems like the backbone of the Bible. From Genesis on, God enters into formal relationship after another with various people in order uh, to rescue his world. It makes sense that a merciful God would reach out to humans to reveal himself and bring about reconciliation through a structure that they already understood. I wonder if we need to rethink our approach to relationships. Have they slipped into the tendency to view our friendships as transactional? We can easily say it's, it's his turn to call me 
or I'm not, not inviting her because she didn't include me. Or perhaps you begin to resent a friendship with someone because it's become too one-sided. Maybe we need to be reminded that God loves the concept of giving ourselves in love and devotion, irrespective of the return on our time or expense or energy. And what about your relationship with God? We have to avoid the danger of treating God like a contractual partner in our lives, the one who gives us all we need when we ask him. The idea of a prosperity gospel has misled millions down the years. Yes, God is a kind and generous God, slow to anger and abounding in love, but his gospel is marked by undeserved favour, and not by wealth, and not by trying to buy his generosity. Let's never assume that increasing our faith somehow leads to prosperity and that God is reduced to a kind of cosmic delivery man attending to our needs and desires. Um, that's not the way God operates. The way of a pilgrim is full of pain and suffering as well as joy and peace and promised riches in the age to come. Let's be people who fall in love with God and commit our lives to him, whatever the cost, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. So back to David and his friend uh, Jonathan and the promises they make to each other. Much has been written about their friendship. In a way, I admire Jonathan most. When David called on Jonathan to demonstrate faithfulness, Jonathan responded, whatever you say, I will do for you. And Jonathan was also wise. Remember that he knew what was ahead for him and his family. One day, David would be king, and Jonathan and his family line would be perceived as a threat to David's monarchy. Jonathan thought ahead of the consequences and established a bond with his, fr with his friend that would protect his family for the years ahead. In our reading from 1 Samuel, we saw that David's life was once again under threat from, David's, or from King Saul. In that moment, Jonathan offers a pact that would bring stability and certainty in the midst of a volatile situation. Together, they commit to one another to remain faithful when life takes an inevitable dark turn, to entrust their bond of friendship to the Lord. This is the kind of friendship that will ride the storms, whatever storms come their way. They strengthened and encouraged one another. They were honest with each other. They were loyal. They were selfless. Jonathan in 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 23 even says to David, You shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Christian men can learn a lot about friendship from Jonathan and David. And it's often in the heat of a situation that men naturally bond, working side by side, getting our hands dirty, facing life's big obstacles. Perhaps as a church we need to find more ways that us men can fight together for the gospel. We might have to wait a while until after the pandemic, but I look forward to the time when we can serve on a mission together. 
when we can draw swords to win fellow Christian soldiers, when we can pioneer, initiate and sacrifice for the good of others. Let's be men and women marked by strong friendship, committed to the cause of the gospel. And when we make commitments to one another, let's have integrity to make good on our promises. Let's be known for our loyalty and our selfless attitude. I'm a big fan of Britain's Got Talent. Every week I fall for the emotion of the backstory before we see their performance. You know those short videos with the slow motion, the sad music, the heart-wrenching stories of loss or tragedy or victory over adversity? I'd love to see what the producers of BGT would do to the next instalment in David's life story. It's one of the most beautiful pictures um, and, and beautiful stories of the whole of, in the whole of Scripture. It serves as a, a clear example of David's covenant love for his friend Jonathan. And it gives us a, a clear picture of the kindness of God towards you and me. At the end of 1 Samuel, we discover that Saul and Jonathan were both tragically killed in battle. David lamented their loss and soon after was anointed as King Saul's successor. It would have been the norm that any threats to the throne would be eradicated. You wouldn't want to have a potential heir to the throne to resurface after all. Anyone in the old dynasty would flee for their lives. And it's here that we first read of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He was just five years old when he lost his father and grandfather on the battlefield. And worse was to come. As news came through of Jonathan and Saul's death, his nurse took him and as she fled, Mephibosheth fell and was crippled in both legs. His disability was to, re to, was to last for the rest of his life. And in those days, sadly, he would have been treated very differently by today's standards. The boy is hidden away in a town called Lodabar. The town's name is not very complimentary. In English, we might even say that it was in the middle of nowhere. A number of years pass, and then we discover the story of David's kindness to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, which Victoria will now read for us. Today's second reading is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machar, the son of Amnil at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amnil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. 
And he paid homage to him and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Thanks, Victoria. What a story. David's heart for covenant extends beyond the life of his friend Jonathan. It extends beyond his change in circumstances, his rise to power and influence. You've got to admire David in this part of his life story. After all, he could have easily ignored the promises he had made now that Jonathan was dead. But in his heart, he was reminded that a promise is a promise made in the presence of God. In this moment, he showed great integrity and honour. What Jonathan and David did for each other in life would have the kindest of repercussions for generations to come. I wonder if you're building commitments into your life that will outlive you, that will benefit others when you're gone. I'm not thinking about financial security or reputation, but setting such a good example of service and love in your lifetime, in building up your children and your grandchildren. Or what about even investing in the next generation of men and women in our church? Perhaps then these commitments made in your lifetime will have benefits for years and years after you've gone to glory. Let's think for a few moments about David's act of kindness for Jonathan's sake to this man, Mephibosheth. As a child, Mephibosheth would have been destined for big things. He was in line for the throne, but events took such a bad turn. Before this incident in chapter 9, he was an orphan. He was isolated. He was crippled for life. His name had even been changed from Mirabel, recorded in First Chronicles chapter 8, which was a powerful Hebrew name, meaning he was to be an opponent of Baal, a, a false god. And it was changed to Mephibosheth, meaning son of shame or shameful thing. It seems so unlikely that things would ever change. But one day, years later, there's a knock at the door and Mephibosheth is summoned to the palace. I'm sure he wondered what was going to happen. What did he think about David after all these years? Remember that Mephibosheth probably wouldn't have known about David and his father Jonathan's private covenant, but he would have known about his grandfather's malicious persecution of David. And this is where the story gets the Britain's Got Talent golden buzzer moment. In verse 7 we read, David said to him, Do not fear, for, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And Mephibosheth said, 
What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? What a terrible thing to say of yourself. All those years since childhood thinking the worst of yourself. And now everything he had known, everything he had internalised about himself and about David was suddenly turned upside down. Mephibosheth was to eat at the king's table. He was to inherit land. He was to have servants. And he was to be considered one of the king's own sons. Despite his backstory, despite the disability, despite his reputation, despite what he thought of himself, Mephibosheth, for the rest of his life, was to be in the presence of King David, eating daily at his table. Such an unlikely outcome. Such radical kindness. And in the same way that David showed an unlikely kindness to Mephibosheth, we see a beautiful analogy of God's desire for us, God's grace towards us. We are like young Mephibosheth. We are hiding, weak, lame and fearful when the king comes to us. We must receive the king's kindness and humility. We can eat at the king's table. We can have access to a daily relationship with him. And he doesn't immediately take away our weaknesses and lameness, but gives us grace and dignity and a standing that overcomes its sting and changes the way we think about ourselves. No matter who we are or what we've done, the king still loves us unconditionally. Can you see a a resonance in this story with the parable Jesus told of the prodigal son in Luke 15? A robe, a ring on his finger, a meal to celebrate. That's God's covenant heart. That's the new covenant, the New Testament, made possible by Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross. Perhaps in this moment you need to be reminded of God's kindness, his radical kindness. Perhaps you need to reorientate your perception of yourself in the light of this merciful king. You're no dead dog. You are loved by the one true God. Perhaps you haven't even accepted the invitation to the palace to meet the king. You need to receive his offer to come. There's a king waiting to embrace you and to show you radical kindness. The story of David and his covenant at first look just looks like a simple story, but it holds so much more than that. As followers of the Lord, let's learn to have hearts of covenantal love, just like David. Let's be marked by commitment to one another, not expecting anything in return. Let's keep our promises, even when there's no one around to see us do it. And let's live our lives to honour the King. We're going to sing after I pray. Uh, Our final song this week is He Chose the Cross. And let's now close in prayer. Our loving God and Heavenly Father, the King of all kings, the maker of the universe, abundant in love, immensely kind, we thank you for your goodness to us. We see in this story um, how uh, David showed kindness to this young man, Mephibosheth. Uh, 
What a lovely picture it is of your kindness to each one of us. When we were hiding, when we were abandoned, uh, when we were weak, uh, you reached out to us. So thank you for your, uh, your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you that that's made possible by the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Thank you that you have set us uh, a wonderful example. And I pray that in our relationships that we would be radically kind. I pray that in our uh, friendships that we would be um, loving uh, and loyal and authentic and that we would uh, show integrity in all of our lives. Make us good friends. Help us to serve well together. Help us to see your kingdom uh, come uh, in, in our generation uh, and in the generations to come. Help us uh, this week for all that is in store. And I pray for our country, uh, and I pray for uh, our world, that uh, we would uh, see a, a vaccine, see a remedy to this pandemic. Lord, that you would heal, heal our land. So thank you, God, for your goodness and our time together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.